Bibles out, we're going to open to page 1082, Ephesians 6. We're going to almost finish Ephesians today. So next week, we will 100% finish. Almost. So as we're getting our Bibles open, our listening guides out, a couple things I want to remind you of. Hey, thank you to all of you that have brought candy. Thank you so much. Uh, those of you that forgot, hey, there's redemption. It's called Dollar General. Go by there, get you some candy, and bring it, and put it in those buckets, because we're going to need a lot of it, because here in a few weeks, uh, some of you are going to experience for the very first time, the rest of us are going to experience something we've been loving for a long time, but the biggest fall festival you've ever seen, I promise you, it's going to be a awesome blessing. So as we're preparing for that, remember there's places to serve for everyone. We'll uh, get rallied around that in the next couple weeks. And remember the marriage retreat, the information's in your uh, worship guide today. So uh, that's going to be, uh, the registration for that's going to go live on the 15th uh, on the Michael Memorial website. So, and that's something that we will repeat uh, for those who are unable to attend this time, okay? All right, amen. So Ephesians 6, we've been talking about the armor. Let's read together this passage again. This makes the third week in a row, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. The Word of God says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to Stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the last couple of weeks have been imperative to understanding today because we couldn't just dive into this conversation without establishing a precedent. Now, remember how I've stressed a couple of things over the last couple of weeks to you. First of all, you must notice the participles in that passage, meaning notice everything is, stand therefore having fastened, having put on the breastplate, having put on the readiness. It's already on. Remember we said you, no soldier puts their armor on in the midst of battle. So the first thing you have to understand is that the Bible teaches that all of us, the reality of our lives is that we are in a battle. You're not heading into a battle. You are in a battle. So therefore, you already have put on the armor. That's imperative to understand. That's the way you stand firm against the enemy. And then we also said, the other thing that I need you to remember is, 
What is our greatest spiritual danger? Coasting. When you coast, that's the door that opens for all the things that we most dread to come in. See, what the armor teaches, see, when when you don't put on the armor of God, you're vulnerable to all the spiritual weapons that are formed against you in the heavenly places. When you put the armor on, those weapons can no longer harm you. So having put on means that when you're spiritually coasting, you're not wearing the armor, right? And the reason we're using this metaphor, the reason the Bible uses this metaphor has not nearly as much to do with the fact that Paul is imprisoned and looking at a Roman soldier as it does with the fact that we're in a war, and so we should be talking about war things that give us a war mentality, right? Greatest spiritual danger is coasting. Now, let's set our minds today beginning with this thought. In Christ, armor and identity are synonyms. Armor and identity. You make a mistake when you think about the armor of God as these things. They, they're, it's, they're not things. What they are is they're realities. And what the armor is about is merely Paul not introducing, remember, not introducing new information, but reemphasizing what he's already said in the book of Ephesians. And so to clear up a lot of confusion about the armor, understand that this is true about every saved person. But oftentimes, saved people don't operate in what's true. You got that? The armor is all about you and me knowing and understanding what is true about us in Christ and living in that truth. So the foundation is the belt of truth, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And Paul's just reemphasizing chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, speaking the truth in love. Or chapter 4, verse 25, where he says, put off, put off all falsehood. That we're to be people of the truth. The foundational reality of our lives is that we're people of truth. So that means that we not only live by truth, but we live in truth, which means we don't hide from the truth. We don't disguise the truth. We don't pretend. We don't hide from the truth of our past. We don't try to disguise the truth of our present, but we're people of the truth. We live in the truth. We put away all falsehood. And this is why it's so important to understand the difference between a agreeing and obeying and what is the primary difference how do you know whether you're in agreement 
or in obedience, it's always by submission. Submission is the component that makes agreeing obeying. Whenever you obey something, you submit to it, which means you don't submit to other things. That's what obeying is. And when we stand, see, we can stand when we abandon agreeing with God. And the truth then takes deep root inside of our hearts. For example, in Psalm 51, David prays, Behold, you, Lord, desire truth in the innermost parts. That's the the deepest parts of who we are, that we would take what we agree and it would penetrate so deeply in us that we would submit to that. So the truth that you submit to is the truth that you live. See, your life, what you do illustrates what you're submitted to. Your actions prove you see you can't do one thing and say I'm doing this but I'm really obeying that what you can do is you can do this and say but I still agree with that but you can't obey it see the truth that you submit to is the truth that you live now Let's think about lies for a second. Telling lies or living lies facilitates. Remember, what are these darts? What are these fiery darts that come? What is it? What is the number one weapon the enemy uses against us by a mile, far and away? Lies. Telling lies or living lies facilitates the believing of lies. See, if you're here this morning and your head is filled with lies, I guarantee you, you tell lies. You see, when you put away all falsehood, because the telling of truth facilitates the believing of truth. That's why it's so important and so foundational to understand that we put away all falsehood. That's why the belt of truth is such a foundational piece that all the rest of the, you know, the order in which these pieces of armor uh, are revealed to us is very critical. It makes a big difference because everything rests on that. So, with each of these pieces, we need something to be able to say. On the back, I've given you scripture verses that connect to the pieces. But when it comes to the belt of truth, what I would say is when the voice in my head tells me that I'm not good enough, I am a beloved child of God who is made in his image. I matter to him. My needs matter to him, and I will not let the enemy or anyone else convince me these things aren't true. 
That's a way of declaring what the belt of truth is there to remind us of. And which, you know, you could, there are many different ways you could word this. I'm just trying to help us to be able to put some context to this in words that will help us frame our understanding. So let's say this together. All together. Ready? I am a beloved child of God who is made in His image. I matter to Him. My needs matter to Him. And I will not let the enemy or anyone else convince me these things aren't true. Amen. That's when the voice in your head starts telling you you're not good enough. Now, the second piece of defensive armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, what guards us in the struggle and enables us to stand against attack? Well, it's both having been made right with God through the work of Jesus which is true, and actually living in that righteousness. So it's not just what is true, but it's us actually practicing what is true. This is the breastplate of righteousness. So we're new people with new understanding and therefore new behaviors because we've now seen something brand new. As we've We've peered out this window into the gospel and seen the reality of the world that's around us, and our whole lives have been transformed by that. So when the enemy attacks who I am, then I want to declare what is true, like 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's true. So when the enemy starts trying to attack me, in particular, with regards to who I am, I need to not only know that the Bible declares that in Christ I'm the righteousness of God, but I need to live in that. Or, for example, when the enemy starts attacking what we've done, because we're still, we still have to contend with the flesh, which means we're still going to make mistakes. And when that happens, then the enemy tries to, to bring this voice into our, our head, tries to bring a, a lie through our ears or our eyes or however he can get it before us. And we want to declare the truth, like Romans 8, 1, which we all know, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And so when he's, when he's trying to attack you because of what you've done, you have to know that not only are you the righteousness of God because of what Christ did, but there's no condemnation in Christ. So that, that's got to be, that's out. We, we're, not, we're not entertaining that thought. Because the enemy wants to continually point out, not only to you, but to others, your faults, our faults, our failures, any, any opportunity that he has. He loves to accuse our conscience, 
try to convince us that because of our failures, God rejects us, no longer loves us, or that we're phony or fake or whatever it is. He wants to, because his goal is to get us to believe that if we'd only work harder at being holy, we could somehow justify ourselves or earn God's favor. That's the trap he wants to get you in. Just try harder and you can earn God's favor. He wants to get you to behave as if you're an old covenant Christian living under the law. That's what he wants you to do. And if he gets you there, he's going to torment you continuously. So the breastplate of righteousness, here's what we might say. When I'm riddled with guilt, that's when righteousness is going to, the breastplate is going to come. You know, most of these I just based off my own life. When I'm riddled with guilt, I will say no matter how I feel or what anyone says, I have been declared not guilty by the judge of the highest court in the universe on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not guilty. You say, well, I don't know, Pastor Tony. I've been to court before. Maybe it's, uh, it's going to get appealed. <clears throat> Not from this court. It's the highest one in the universe. Once this judge drops the gavel that's it forever see it can't be challenged let's say it together no matter how i feel or what anyone says i have been declared not guilty by the judge of the highest court in the universe on the basis of the finished work of jesus christ amen the third piece of defensive armor. Kind of a strange piece. Gospel shoes. What, what are gospel shoes? What, what, is this, what is the Bible talking about? Having shod your feet. You, ever, you say that? You, ever, you say you use the word shod lately in a, in a sentence anywhere? If you did, you're weird. I'm just saying. You put on these shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace in verse 15. Well, basically what it means is the gospel of peace prepares us for the hard road ahead. That's a good way to think of it. It's going to be a hard road ahead. In this world, you're going to face tribulation. It's already a foregone conclusion. The Lord wants you to know that it's going to be hard. So, these Shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace is going to be the key here. Remember back in Ephesians 2, you could just write this somewhere, Ephesians 2, 13, 14, and 15. I'll read them. Here's what Paul said earlier in the letter. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
then he goes on to say, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. See, you're not an Old Testament believer. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. See, Paul's had a lot to say in Ephesians about peace. And this is very important because when we experience that peace, the peace that, that Ephesians wants us to understand, then we're standing on solid ground that won't be moved. We're able to, we're able to endure hardship in such a way that it takes a negative and turns it into a positive. Peace is a very powerful thing. You don't want to live in agreement only with peace. Because then we're vulnerable to the schemes of the enemies. Think about it. When you just agree, when you, when you just think, well, you know, God, God's going to give me peace. Remember, having already put on. When you say, well, you know, uh, you haven't really, you've been coasting. You haven't really been thinking about the armor of God. You haven't put on these gospel shoes of peace. And then the fiery dart hits you and you, there's this lie that starts repeating in your head. Probably creating fear. Where there's supposed to be peace, the enemy wants to put fear. And this starts going around in your head. You're vulnerable to all the schemes of the enemy. He's going to get you. See, lacking peace facilitates panic. And what happens when we panic? We don't think clearly, do we? No, we don't. See, some of you, one of your biggest battles is with peace. You find yourself panicking a lot. And so this is a, this is a, a piece of armor that you need to, to especially pay attention to in your life. A lack of peace makes you a very little consequence in a dark and dying world. See, here, here's how peace works. You, if I start talking about when was the last person that you shared the gospel with? Or when was the last time you actually led a person to faith in Christ? Or have you ever done that? And suddenly we can start to feel the weight in the room of, uh-oh. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. Do you know, you know the primary reason for uh-oh right there? Do you know why you don't speak up for Christ when you know you should? You even want to, but somehow you just don't seem to be able to. It's a lack of peace. 
Peace is what facilitates the sharing of the gospel. Because you know already what really hinders it is fear. It's fear. So we need this peace. So you ever you ever looked around and thought everything's falling apart. My life's falling apart. My world is falling falling apart. My family's falling apart. My finances are falling apart. My health is falling apart. Things are out of control. And it causes me to want to panic. And when I'm lacking peace, I say I can be a witness for Christ no matter what the circumstances I'm facing because my Father is the God of peace and He gives me confidence. He fills me with confidence. Do you know what will grab the attention of the world around you quicker and more effectively than anything else? is when you, in the midst of difficulty and suffering, have great peace. People who are effective in evangelism and sharing the gospel are people of peace. And we should all be people of peace because we serve a God of peace. Let's say this together. I can be a witness for Christ no matter what circumstances I'm facing because my Father is the God of peace and He gives me confidence. Amen. The fourth piece of defensive armor. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. In verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. See, our enemy is our enemy because he's the enemy of God. The only reason we're hated is because of Jesus. It's the only reason. So you shouldn't take it personal because it's not about you. It's about him. And the enemy hates everything that Jesus creates and everything that Jesus redeems. And so these fiery darts that come as lies, they, they come at us in, in lies, lustful lies, hateful lies, judgmental lies. Lies of accusation and slander. Lies of doubt in the goodness and faithfulness of God. And these these missiles are coming at us all the time. Opportunities are coming for these lies to break in. And we have this shield that will defend us against them. But it's... A shield of faith, again, this is so important. Faith is not agreement. It's not agreement. 
the foundational component of faith is trust. You only actually have faith in not what you say, but in what you trust in. When you trust in something, that illustrates faith in it. So it's not agreement. Again, it is so important to understand this. It's obedience. So how do I know what I trust in? How do you know? It's easy. You have real faith in what you turn to in need. When you're in great need, what do you grab for? That's what you trust in. See, trial illustrates truth. What did Jesus do? One, one very productive thing for you to do is spend some time in the New Testament and focus on Jesus in moments of great need. And notice what he does when he's in great need. Like in Matthew chapter 4, for example, which would be the first time we right off the bat see this when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And so after great deprivation, the enemy comes against him and says, Hey, Jesus, just turn these stones into bread. I know you're starving. I know, you're, I know your physical body is longing and yearning and craving and screaming for something to eat. So why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus essentially says, no, I'm going to obey my Father, even if that means I have to go more days without food. See, that's trust. Even if it means more days without food. And then the enemy says, well, jump off this cliff and see if the angels are going to catch you as they promised. And the way I would paraphrase his answer is, Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust my Father, even if I see no evidence of the fulfillment of his promises. See, in that moment, all he sees is his great need and this lie, but what he puts his trust in is what he can't yet see. That's me and you. Or bow down and worship me, the enemy says, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus' reply is, no, I'm going to worship and serve my Father only, even if it means I have to go to the cross. See, that's trust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in what I say that I have faith and I'm going to put my trust in that. So when I'm in need, I'm going to turn to that. So what do we do when we're in doubt? What do we say? Because doubt comes after all of us, doesn't it? All, all the time. All the time. 
Every day. Every day I have to battle against doubt. See, all these things that so many of you know by heart that I've taught you is just from my own personal life. What do you think happens? Every single time just before I walk up these stairs onto this platform I say this to myself every single time you say well my goodness after decades of doing this you'd think it would just be no you know why because the enemy never stops Oh, no one's going to listen to this. No, you, you know, oh, you didn't this. Oh, that, that. You should have changed this. You should have done this. Yeah. So when I doubt, here's what I say. By faith, Lord, I know that you are sovereign and you are good. Therefore, I can take you at your word concerning your promises about my past, my present, and my future. Doubt's always coming. It's always coming. And doubt, for me, and I think for many of you, doubt oftentimes tries to zero in on one particular area of our lives, either past, present, or future. So let's say this together. By faith, Lord... I know that you are sovereign and you are good. Therefore, I can take you at your word concerning your promises about my past, my present, and my future. Amen. The fifth defensive piece of armor is the helmet. The helmet. In verse 17, the Bible says, And take the helmet of salvation. And just like doubt, salvation in the Bible is always spoken of in three different tenses, past, present, and future. So when you think about salvation, you think about, well, the Bible teaches that in Jesus we have been saved, we're being saved, and we ultimately will be saved. And so we have to, we have to understand that if we're going to take up the helmet of salvation that we have to make sure that we're taking up all of salvation that we're realizing that I am saved in Jesus meaning that I'm forgiven I'm reconciled I'm adopted all by grace that happened the moment that I got saved but also I'm being saved which is just sanctification that the spirit is working in me every day transforming me into the image of Jesus The Spirit's continually cleansing me, making me fit to be a dwelling place for Him, using all of my circumstances in my life to mold me into who I was intended to be presently. But then also I will be saved along with the whole creation. I have to understand that I will be set free from sin and death once and for all, that all of History is his story, and I am part of that story, and you are part of that story. And that story of redemption leads 
to the making of all things right. That's where this whole thing is heading. And I'm going to spend, along with every other redeemed person, all of eternity in a redeemed creation with Jesus. See, that's all of that is salvation. And so I know that oftentimes uh, doubting your salvation is a big struggle for many people. Just trying to sort out because these fiery darts are coming into your head and they're, they're trying to use things against you. And say, well, if you were saved, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. This wouldn't have happened. Or you wouldn't keep doing this or whatever the case may be. You didn't mean it when you did it. You didn't understand everything. You didn't this. You didn't that. And certainly, there are lots of people in this theological, you know, mud bath that we live in today who walk around professing salvation who clearly are not saved. And so I don't want to put... I don't want to put false security in people's lives, but I also don't want people to live in in doubt. I want you to do what the Bible says and wrestle out your salvation. Understand what the Bible teaches about salvation. See, oftentimes, let me just say this about maybe you're in this perpetual cycle of every so often you get into this big dilemma of doubting your salvation and it just stops you dead in your tracks because that's what it does. See, when you're in, when you're in doubt about your salvation, then sermons go in one ear and out the other because you don't know whether I'm talking to you or not talking to you. You don't know what applies to you or doesn't apply to you. You read the Bible, you don't know if that applies to you or doesn't apply to you because you don't know where you are in the in the picture here. And that's the plan of the enemy to get you stuck. But oftentimes what happens is you get, where do you get stuck? You get stuck on the place. Oftentimes when I talk to people about doubting their salvation, this is where they're stuck. They're stuck on, well, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, why don't you know that? Well, and they start telling me about when they got saved or think they got saved or might have gotten saved or whatever, they go to this time and they go, and I don't know if that happened then. Why are we doing that? To which my response is always, hold on a second. What does this conversation have to do with that previous moment in time? How how am I going to go back to this moment, get inside your head, figure out, well, No wonder you're stuck. You're going to stay stuck there. But why not address it today? Forget that and address it today. In other words, let's suppose you're saved, but you don't know you're saved. Then what harm would it be for you to... Why don't we just get down on our knees right now? I say, do you want to be saved? Yes. Are you sure? Absolutely. Well, then why don't we just get down on our knees right now and let's pray. You pray. Now, if you do that every day, is there any harm in that? 
Are you going to, can you, can you unsave yourself? In other words, get that thought out, stop going back to some time and just address today as today. And then here's what happens. And then they say, well, but then I, but I, but now did I just get saved or was I saved then? And I go, would you stop? Stop talking. Listen. Shh. Now, let's suppose hypothetically that you weren't saved in the past and that just now you got saved. Let's just suppose that. I'm not saying that. Don't freak out. But let's just suppose. Okay? Okay. How would we know that? I don't know. Are you kidding me right now? Because next week, you're going to come back and say, Pastor Tony, everything's different now. Bingo! Right? Or, these doubts that I have have subsided, but there's, but there's no drastic change in my life. And people always go, well, I don't know. I mean, should, do I need to get baptized? Do I not need to? Shh. Why don't we do something really radical? Listen to God. If suddenly the Spirit of God in you is saying you need to get baptized, then you know what you need to do? But if you don't feel this compulsion to get baptized, well then you probably were saved before. In other words, just... It's just a trick. He's always trying to trick us. So we put on the helmet of salvation because the helmet of salvation protects us from the voice in our head that says, God really doesn't love you. He really doesn't know you. You're not his child. You're an outsider, not an insider. So what do we say when we put on the helmet of salvation we say well because i'm saved by grace nothing can separate me from or reduce in any way god's love for me today nor disqualify me from the inheritance that awaits me see because it's by grace i didn't i didn't behave my way into this i can't behave my way out of it right it's by grace The Bible says nothing can separate me from his love, but nothing can reduce or diminish his love for me today. Not in the future, not back at the moment of salvation. Today, in this moment, the moment you become a child of God, God can never love you more or never love you less. So let's say it together. Because I've been saved by grace, nothing can separate me from or reduce in any way God's love for me today, nor disqualify me from the inheritance that awaits me. Amen. So that's the defensive armor. There's two pieces of offensive armor. That we don't defend against, but actually attack with. 
There's the sword of the Spirit. And then we'll deal with the last one next week. But let's talk about the sword of the Spirit, this offensive peace. And in verse 16, you take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this is, this is not the same as the belt of truth. This is the Word of God, specifically a weapon that we use to, on the offensive in the battle. It's not the Word of the flesh. It's not the, the sword of human construction, but it's a spiritual sword. It's the work of the Holy Spirit himself through the Word of God. Now, this is what you have to understand about God's Word. God's Word, according to the Bible, always works. Now, I, don't, I mean it works, meaning that it does what it's intended to do. It doesn't return void, the Bible says. But more than that, it works, meaning it actually accomplishes something. Things happen. The Word of God causes things to happen. That's what you've got to understand about the Word of God. When you, when you look at the last book of the Bible, let's, let's think about how the book of Revelation is given to us and how it's interesting that it's bracketed between these two verses. In chapter 1, verse 16 says, Of Jesus in his right hand he held seven stars, and in his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like a a sun shining in full strength. And then you go all the way to verse uh, chapter 19, and the Bible says of Jesus that his, his, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron when he returns on a white horse in victory. So the point is, Jesus wins with words. See, sometimes when I'm talking about fighting a battle and I say, look, wait, look, you've got the sword of the Spirit. You're kind of like, words, I was hoping for a bazooka. No, this is way better than that. This is way, way better than that. You think about when Jesus speaks, it not only informs, but it performs Things happen. The Word makes things happen. Now, we know that. How do we know that? Because our words, to some degree, make things happen. So we already know the power of words because here's what we know about our words. Our words can wound. Our words can heal. Our words can tear down. Our words can build up. All we've heard this in Ephesians already, haven't we? In chapter 4. Well, if that's true, then how much more powerful are the words of the one who, in whom all things are held together? Think about this. This is how powerful the sword of the Spirit is, the words of God. God says, let there be light, and there was light. It's just words. Get up and walk, and the lame man does. Come out of him, and the demons flee. 
Be still, and the wind and the waves stop. Come forth, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Words, words. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You get that? And it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let's think about this for a second. It's living. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible will you find the phrase the Holy Spirit said? It's not in the Bible. But what you do find, go, go, make a mental note to yourself to go home and read Revelation 2 and 3 and note how many times the Bible says the Holy Spirit says. Not said, says. You know why? Because he's alive. God's alive. And the Bible speaks in terms that, that remind us that He's alive. That's the Word of God is alive. It's living and active, and it pierces. It can penetrate any darkness, any. It can free us from any bondage. It can defend us against anything that comes against the knowledge of God, the Bible says. It's sufficient to break through any lies. What do you use to go on the offensive? If, you, if you've discovered over the last couple of weeks or discovered today the lies that are in your head, well, what are you going to attack them with? The sword of the Spirit. That's what will destroy the lies that are hurting you or wounding you or causing you to be in whatever situation that you're in because of them. See, when we speak the Word of God, things happen. Things happen. Sometimes immediately, sometimes not immediately. Sometimes visibly, but sometimes not visible. But when it's spoken, things happen. I, I want to show you something that you maybe have never thought about. I remember some years ago, I was studying in Luke chapter 10. I mean, if you, if you remember me preaching through the book of Luke... And you remember how long ago that was? Long time ago. I'm preaching on Luke 10, and this passage just totally flipped my world upside down. Remember when Jesus sent the 70 out, and he empowered them and sent them out and to go and, and do ministry, and they were a little fearful, and he was speaking into them, you know, enforcing their identity of what they were to do and to go out and do this. And so they go out, and then they have great success, and they come back, and in verse 17 they said, with joy, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And it's Jesus' response that just floored me. Jesus didn't say, well, of course they did, or I told you so, or what did you think was going to happen? Or, but he says something that at first it doesn't even make sense. His response, because remember, he doesn't go with them. His response to their great victory, wielding the sword of the Spirit, is 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wait, what? What? And a lot of times I hear people, I've heard people, you know, other places, sermons, preachers. I have commentaries that say, well, this is Jesus recalling what happened in the past. Here's the error of that. If you look at what he's saying, when he says, I saw Satan, that's it. that word in the Greek is in the imperfect tense. So do you know what that means? That means that what Jesus is saying is, I was watching Satan fall like lightning. When? When you were out there wielding the sword of the Spirit. That while you were doing that, I was watching. When you experienced what visibly happens, when you use the Word of God, I was watching what invisibly happens. Woohoo! Do you get that? So when Paul says in Ephesians 3:10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you ever read that and think, well, now, how, how, how is that? How are you and me making known the Word of God in the heavenly places? Because if we could see what Jesus could see, when we use the sword of the Spirit, Satan falls like lightning. Things happen. There are things happening in the invisible realm that we can't see every time we use the Word of God. That's the point. When we announce the good news to other human beings, we're not just announcing it to them. We're also causing things to happen amongst the powers and principalities of darkness. That's what's going on. So when, we, when you get together and you share the Word of God, in your, in your community group or your, your Bible study or your D group or in a coffee shop or bookstore or in your apartment or wherever it is at your school or your workplace or whatever's going on, things are happening wherever the sword of the Spirit is. That's what the Bible's telling us. That's why the powers and principalities work so tirelessly to keep you out of your Bible. That's why that's always a war. It always has been a war, and it always will be a war. Because that's your powerful offensive weapon. And the enemy wants to keep you out of it. That's why the enemy barrages us with distractions and loves our busyness. Anything. See, if you're serious about being in the Word of God, then I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to the choir. You already know. It's a never-ending battle. It's a never-ending battle. And even, even when you get proficient at it, you know, some of you are just, I don't know, you just, uh, you're better than me. That's all I know. I mean, I just, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm extending grace. You're probably not, but you act like you are. 
But when it comes to studying the Word of God, I act like a rookie. I got to go in a quiet place, shut the door, cell phone outside. I mean, I got to be in my closet, no phone, no nothing, zero, no, no, nothing. That's what I got to do. Because it's so intense. The minute I, I get into God's Word, the minute everything starts pinging and vibrating and zinging around me and people are knocking on the door and, and a bird is pecking at the window. and I mean, it's like oh, everything's going nuts. Well, that's okay. I know how to do it. I just act like a rookie, man. I just get where it, it's, I remove everything that I know is going to be used against me. So when I feel like I'm losing, you ever feel like you're losing in the battle? You need an offensive weapon? Here's what I say. Today I take up the sword of the Spirit, which has unstoppable power to transform the world I see and demolish every stronghold I can't see. Everyone. See, sometimes, sometimes we all feel like we're, we're losing the battle. Now, that doesn't mean we are losing the battle, but I feel like I'm losing the battle. And the point is, when I, if I feel like I'm losing the battle, the only thing that matters is that I feel like I am, right? And so I need to uh, deal with it. I, don't, I, can't let that, I can't let that dart in. So I say this to myself. Let's say it together. Today, I take up the sword of the Spirit, which has unstoppable power to transform the world I see and demolish every stronghold I can't see. Amen. So when you really realize everything that we've been talking about over the last three weeks with regards to the armor, here's what you realize. The belt of truth is Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, Jesus. The shoes of peace, Jesus. The shield of faith, Jesus. The helmet of salvation, Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, Jesus. It's putting Jesus on. Listen, listen. You can live like who you were. And so can I. That's what's scary. We can all, you can be saved and walk around with no armor. And all the armor is just as true for you as it is for anyone. You have to put it on. It has to become your identity. And I would say to you that most of you through the course of this morning, can identify one of these areas where you are more often, you struggle, you're tempted, where the enemy comes after you. And I would say to you to to really focus in there and start using the shield of, I mean, the sword of the Spirit against those lies in that particular area whether it's doubt or it's peace or whatever it is, 
if, if you struggle just to, to feel that God loves you, well, then you need to zero in because that's where your, your greatest weakness is. That's where Satan's foothold is in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to I pray for all of us. And then when I'm done praying, if you want to come down to the altar, you can come down to the altar. If you want to come down now, you can come down now. But I just want to pray for you first. So would you just right where you are, just bow your heads and let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your willingness to not only give this awesome gift of armor to make this true of every saved person in this room who feels unworthy or unable or whatever it is, Lord, I am so grateful that what we have done or think we can do or feel about anything has no impact on what is absolutely positively 100% true and thank you Lord for helping us to remember to put on the full armor every day Lord will you Holy Spirit remind us every day to put what's true about us in you on so that we will not succumb to the lies that the devil tries to use against us. You give us all that we need to stand firm in this world. And Lord, thank you for forgiving us for the times that we've walked into battle unprepared, the times that we were too busy to care or trying to fight in our own strength. Thank you, Lord that there's no condemnation. Thank you that we never, ever, not ever have we, not ever will we fight this battle alone. Thank you. You promise to constantly and consistently be at work on our behalf. And we want you to know we're grateful for that. Thank you for all the, the millions of ways that you're shielding protecting, strengthening, exposing deeds of darkness, bringing to light things that we need to know. Thank you, Lord, for how you're covering us from the cruel attacks that we face even when we're totally unaware. Thank you. So, Lord, we declare today obedience, submission, trust in this armor. We believe you and not everything else. You. Whatever you say is above everything else said. So even if we've heard it all of our lives, even if we grew up with this lie constantly being spoken into our ears, 
It's not true. And we, we declare the armor is sufficient to defeat every stronghold. So thank you for the victory, Jesus. Thank you. We give you praise today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Now I want you to pray.